a number of people that have amazing gifts to offer the church. And the church just simply isn't structured to receive those gifts well. So it left me thinking, is, is there a way that we can perhaps provide the nurture and support for gifts to be realized and utilized? You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters and starters from across Canada. Hello, everybody. My name is Jared. And my name is Elle. And you're listening to The New Leaf Project. On today's episode, we have some new folks who are joining the New Leaf Network. They are helping us develop uh, planter discernment and discernment in general, which is a powerful and important way that the people of God ask questions of themselves, of the spirit, of each other. And uh, I'm really excited. We're going to have a lot more from Jeff and Jan in the future, but this is sort of a a good intro episode. So Al, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you first met Jeff and Jan and why you wanted them on the podcast today? Yeah, so I met them uh, probably about a year and a bit ago. It was a a mutual friend connected us and said, hey, these people are kind of talking about some of the stuff that you guys are talking about at the New Leaf Network. And they've been around the church world for a long time, spiritual directors, denominational leaders. Um, They've been pastors. It's it's they've got definitely a long history in the church. And it was really an interesting conversation. We talked about second half of life stuff. I know a lot of people read that book by Richard Rohr and asking some really great questions. And they're also leading the team, the design team right now, as you mentioned, that's working through um, how we actually create an assessment for church planters that's not an assessment, more of a discernment community. How do we actually discern what God's asking us to do as we step out and step into these new areas? And, um, you know, there are people who love Jesus. There are people who practice this this, um, more contemplative way of being in the world. And I think they have I've learned a lot from them. I genuinely appreciate spending time with them. And I think that uh, introducing them to the New Leaf Network crowd, I think that you guys will enjoy this conversation as well. All right. So give it a listen. Friends, I have with me today two wonderful people that you're going to love hearing about, Jeff and Jan Steckley. We're sitting in their very lovely home in the epicenter of Kitchener, Ontario. Hi, Jeff and Jan. Hey, Hi, So tell, tell me a little bit about yourself or tell our, tell our listeners, for those who don't know you, a little bit about yourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I am a former educator. I taught for 17 years with the Water Region District School Board. And then in 2000, made a switch and uh, served in a congregational resourcing position with Mennonite Church, Eastern Canada. Uh, but probably more importantly, I'm a husband and I'm a dad. have three adult sons and uh, two, two daughters-in-law, one granddaughter, who is the light of, light of my life, light of our lives. Um, Grandkids have a way of doing that. They do. Yeah. They absolutely do. And Jan. I, um, in terms of vocational life, I was trained as an early childhood educator, worked in that field for five years until we kind of jointly got called into ministry, um, which I went into a little uh, with heels dug in, uh, kind of like... That's the best way to go. That's how I went. Moses and, you know, Jeremiah, all the good prophets who went in like that. And um, yeah, so I've been in ministry now for over 30 years. 
a place that I didn't ever expect to be really. And still wonder sometimes, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. Right. All these years later. That's interesting. Well, Jeff and Jan, uh, you guys have like some very interesting stories that I know everyone's going to love, especially the things that you guys are involved in now. Um, when I met you, I felt like you were kindred spirits right away. So um, try to think of a good place for us to start. Do you want to talk a little bit about like the journey that you've been on to kind of get where you are now? Sure, I can do that. Um, in oh, about 2013, uh, Jen and I had the privilege of both being on sabbatical for the fall uh, and opted at that point to do a couple things. And the one was to walk a portion of the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And I'm so jealous. before we did that, yeah, it was a marvelous opportunity. It really was. That, that would be a whole nother podcast, actually. I'm writing that Camino. one down. Yes. Um, but along with that, we had been, we had been reading uh, or been introduced to Father Richard Rohr, Franciscan priest, uh, to his daily meditations and had been reading those fairly regularly uh, at breakfast each day. And at the, the bottom of the meditation one, one day, there was a, a, a promotion for a conference called Conspire that works with uh, seven of, all, on an annual basis, all seven of sort of the key, the, the principles. principles that Richard works Tenants. with. Um, so we went to this conference called Conspire in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, at, at that point, uh, was introduced to this, um, what, what Richard would call, um, and maybe this should be scratched because Richard may not want to be quoted, but an alternative <laughs> seminary. Um, and it was a two-year program, distance, distance ed and, on, and in, in person, uh, called Living School. And uh, so I, as a result of that exposure at the conference and the opportunity to rub shoulders with some Living School students, decided that I'd apply for a living school. Um, and unbeknownst to me, I was going to have way more spaciousness in my life to actually engage the living school studies than what I'd ever anticipated uh, in that I was dismissed from my role with Mennonite Church Eastern Canada in September 2015, which was when living school, living school started. Um, so, so that has led to... Uh, uh, serendipitous confluence of events in my life and in in Jan's too um, that has taken us on a journey that we hadn't expected in particular as second half of lifers some of you may know Richard's Richard's book falling upward um, so here we are in our mid-ish 50s um, at times pinching ourselves thinking that we're you know probably behaving more like we're mid-20s um, <laughs> which is kind of a strange, strange place to be. Um, what, that, what that did was, was a number of things. It, it first of all created the space for uh, study and uh, in particular engaging in um, a much more in-depth exposure to the, the contemplative tradition. Hmm. Um, That's something you previously hadn't had a lot of. Not a lot, no. Yeah. Um, but that, that fit well. I had uh, done spiritual direction mm. training. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that fit well with that kind of approach. And I had been kind of, uh, for some time, been working in, kind of working at my ministry through that lens right. so of spiritual companioning, whether that's individuals or groups or the congregation as a whole. So there's just a lot of resonance uh, for both of us 
around um, that particular way of thinking about how are we disciples, how do we express our faith in the world. So you, yeah. you entered into this schooling? I entered into this schooling, and I think in, in particular was struck by the the emphasis on the link between contemplation and action. Hmm. I mean, that's the name of the center, but it, it, but it's it's absolutely crucial. Um, I think coming out of an Anabaptist tradition, um, certainly that, that whole peace and justice emphasis was there. What was new for me in terms of this schooling was this sense of uh, the, the import of the grounding of that work mm. uh, in attentiveness to self and to other and to context. Um, I think coming to appreciate that I mean, angry activists often work counter to what their intents are because there's so much of themselves invested in it. And then when life behaves the way life sometimes behaves, mm-hmm. um, there, there isn't, that, isn't that ability to perhaps um, hold a, a non-dual posture, and, which is so core to the contemplative tradition. Anyway, along with the, the studies, uh, I now had, had more space than I ever anticipated to think about what this next vocational chapter of life would look like. Uh, and a number of themes emerged. Uh, certainly the, the exposure to the, the work with Mennonite Church Eastern Canada made me aware of an incredible number of young adults, not exclusively young adults, but a number of people that have amazing gifts to offer the church. And the church just simply you know, isn't, isn't structured to receive those gifts well. Um, so it left me thinking, is, is there a way that we can perhaps provide the, the, the nurture and support for, for gifts to be realized and utilized in ways that, that perhaps uh, we haven't, haven't been able to. Mm-hmm. Thinking about the whole notion of, of God's kingdom being much more beyond the institutional church, but the whole of creation. Right. Uh, and uh, coming to appreciate that in, in the midst of all the, all the challenging uh, pieces of life, there, there is goodness, goodness everywhere. The, the, the other piece that seemed seemed important thinking about this this time of transition and to pay attention to uh, is the notion of lifelong mentoring and I mean call it companioning or lifelong friendships but I think for me there's just an awareness that we have a whack of people living out there that really receive services and interact only with their age group Mm. uh, very demographic specific yes and uh, I think as a culture we have lost the ability to relate well intergenerationally yes um, perhaps even a generation ago uh, you know we we had some structure with our extended families where that that happened well uh, but with with our mobility and um, with, with people with families being separate uh, separated um, I don't think there's quite the, the opportunity for those kinds of those kinds of interactions to happen uh, so it's it's left me wondering uh, whether there there is a container that could begin to hold some of these these pieces that mm-hmm. um, that seem important with respect to the contemplative tradition, with respect to identifying and nurturing gifts and and, and assets, and along with that, um, somehow building in the the support structures uh, for us to mentor and be mentored well. Um, I think one of the key questions that I I have and probably. You know, moving into second half of life and more aware of it, uh, is is whether or not we are helping uh, folk in their more senior years. And I don't know if I'd put myself there quite yet. Maybe not ready to admit that, but 
in the in their more senior years to actually step into an eldering role hmm. as opposed to simply continuing to to be to think of themselves as consumers of services uh, but what what is what is the culture what is the what what is what is the church doing to invite people to actually be elders and 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 do do the kind of mentoring that they that they might do uh, and, maybe, and perhaps continue to be mentored. Yeah, and maybe even understanding, like, I know a lot of younger people especially actually would really want that, that actually do view those who've gone a little further ahead of us. Um, they want that kind of interaction and that kind of knowledge, but don't always necessarily know where to get it. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got all these things at play. You're, you're, in, you're in school. So, you know, once you've kind of graduated, or I know you I just know, graduated. I know, I've graduated. Yes, yep. you've graduated. Um, yeah. So what has it been like as you've kind of started this journey then? You know, I, I know a few of our listeners have probably are going through this, maybe this second half of life. And, but maybe you could do us a, a, a favor and explain it. Like what, when you're talking about second half of life, what, is that, what does that mean and what does that look like? Coming to that point, saying, so I've, I've you know, done, done the schooling. I've perhaps acquired the, the skills and the competence, competencies that that uh, I, I need, needed to acquire in order to get the, the job that I was seeking. Um, I've perhaps you know, moved into the neighborhood uh, that, that uh, I, I want to move into and have the kind of home that I'd like, and then discovering that perhaps there's, there isn't the level of satisfaction that I once thought there might be. Um, I think that, for me, thinking about second half of life moves moves us well beyond um, using some of Janet Hagberg's language, uh, well beyond power by association. So that's the you know my my dad's bigger than your dad. He can beat you up. The playground talk, right? Or power by power by status. These are the letters that I have behind my name. So therefore, um, but brings us I, th- I think to that perhaps a raw place where identity is exposed in ways that we hadn't anticipated. And I think given the journey of the last couple of years, uh, I'm coming to appreciate that that, that often, often is, is as a result of um, experiences of great, great suffering or great, great joy. I mean, if life continues to kind of meander on its usual course, um, we don't begin to ask perhaps some of those really, really depth fundamental questions about our identities and who we are. And why we're here, mm-hmm. um, and looking at this through a faith-based lens, what God is inviting us to do. I would say too that it is, um, as you said, there are times when I think we get kind of kicked into second half of life because life turns out not to be what we thought it was going to be. Right. Um, so I think that's often a trigger. Uh, for second half of life and having to come to terms with we thought we were playing by all the rules and life still did this right uh, that kind of thing but the gift of it of those experiences is it gives us the opportunity to say but so who am I really so if that isn't who I Mm. am really Mm. then who am I really Mm. um so I think that's around um, true self. It's that journey. Second half of life, I would say, is really the journey toward true self. Not the self that we create because we think other people expect that or want that from us. 
or um, not the self that gets affirmed by other people um, because they like us to be that, um, but the self that is true and authentic and that we know this is who I have was created to be. Uh, that's the path we enter onto uh, at, in second half. It's that path kind of sorting out. So what what is that false self that is cre- I've created or others have helped to create mm-hmm. and shape for me um, versus the self that where I am, who I most truly am. Do you think that like the the second half journey, or at least at the beginning, does it differ for someone who's been in ministry or pastoral ministry? Like, is there? I recognize that probably lots of people, Christians or or not, um, go through the second the half of life journey. But what what do you think it looks like for someone that's been around the church for a long time or been in in ministry? Are there other? Is it nuanced? Are there differences? Are there things that people should be paying attention to? The one piece that perhaps is nuanced for folk that have hung around the church is that I think implicit in some of our theologies is a very, a very sometimes overt, um, but sometimes quite hidden um, meritocracy, right? So this sense that if I do, if I do all the right things, um, then God will, God will, I mean, it's a bit of the prosperity gospel thing, mm-hmm. right? So if I live the right way and I, and I follow all the rules, then life will turn out this, this way. And perhaps for folk that are within the church, that, that actually is a, a, a bit of a disability um, because they're, what second half of life questions do, I think, challenge that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of the, um, a bit of, you know, think of the, the Leonard Cohen come healing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, none of none of us deserving the cruelty or the grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think for folk within the church, that's a, that's actually a tough one mm-hmm. to to get our heads around mm-hmm. that none of us deserve the cruelty nor the grace. That's a piece that I think through the the studies with with Living School and Center for Action Contemplation, I've come to appreciate in in new ways uh, as I I am better able to attend to self and context and others. Uh, I'm perhaps more equipped to to actually see image of God, presence of God within me, um, mm-hmm. which you know, I think for, for for some folk in a faith tradition that 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 would probably sound a bit strident. Like, who do you think you are, right? But but if we actually come to appreciate that we are created in the image of God, and uh, we are we are loved and held, whether we're aware of it or not, um, despite of regardless of. Uh, what we have done or what we haven't done or what we've achieved or what we haven't achieved, but simply uh, as created beings, we are, we are held by, by this creator who, who loves us more than what we can ever imagine. Uh, I think that, that may be a bit of a, bit of a hurdle that the church has to, folk within the church have to get beyond in terms of second half of life, coming to appreciate that just the, the, the absolute depth and breadth and length of God's grace in our in our lives um not not simply as as trite statements but as lived lived experience and i think it's only then that that we can come to appreciate i think of uh, the one of the faculty at center for action contemplation living school jim finley 
um, who works with this phrase, and I'm not sure if it's a Merton phrase or if it's his, but this, this notion that God protects us from nothing, yet sustains us in all things. Um, in coming to appreciate that you know, life can at times really feel chaotic in terms mm-hmm. of um, the, both the, the, the gifts and, and the struggles, uh, but to come to appreciate that we actually are held by God's grace in, in all of this, um, even though we, we aren't protected from, from any of it. So I, I, I wonder if that actually, if, if that perspective is one that may be a little harder for some people within faith traditions to, um, to work with than those outside of as they approach second half of life. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, I mean, thinking about my, my uh, dismissal from MCEC, um, sometimes it just, it doesn't make sense. I mean, there's that, you know, that little voice on my shoulder saying, but this isn't the way it was supposed to turn out. Right. Um, I don't deserve this. It's deserve this. It's not fair. It's not right. Um, but to actually come to a point of saying, yeah, and that this is life doing what, what life does. And um, yeah, it may not be fair. It may not feel right. Um, but this is what it is. And then the question is, where to from here? What, mm-hmm. what, are the, what are the next pieces of life that God is inviting me to be faithful to? So as you've kind of stepped through, maybe not through the whole second half of life, but as you've kind of stepped out on this journey and had gone to school and graduated and are having this new perspective and new understanding and awareness, wh- where what are you up to now in light of that? Because I find the, the most fascinating piece for me, probably uh, one of them, uh, doing the podcast, is the journey. I think that oftentimes we see, you know, I've heard this quote before, like we'll often see people's highlight reels, you know, and think, oh, that's great. You just showed up there and that amazing thing happened. But we miss the the backstory. And so you've mm-hmm. graciously mm-hmm. shared with us a little bit of the backstory of kind of how you've gotten to this place. Um, so what what's happening now as a result of that journey and what um, where are things going? What are you trying? What uh, what's up? One of the practices that, that uh, we've been about the last number of years is to, to actually do some retreat time um, together and apart during that retreat, retreat time and then coming together and doing some reflecting. And when was it? 2011, uh, the, we did kind of the first. Yeah, and what were the, what were the three? There were th- a couple themes that we independently identified that, we, that actually aligned well with, with one another. Creating space for others um, which was kind of extending hospitality mm-hmm. slash creating space companioning others and holistic spirituality so not just doing we'd spent most of our lives kind of in the institution doing the institutional stuff which was good and meaningful but I think we both had a sense that somehow or other this has to also kind of mesh with our lives. Um, that it, life isn't about going to meetings and doing churchy kinds of things. So I think there was a sense of that there needs to be something bigger. So we, we had been on that path, as you said, for a long time, I think, without knowing kind of exactly what that right. path was. Yep. Um, but because of that, when then we encountered... Um, the um, 
some of the challenges of being so heavily invested in institutional church. Um, I think that we already knew that, okay, that there's uh, a whole something beyond the institutional church uh, that maybe we are being called to. Um, Recognizing that there are others that remain called to Absolutely. work within the institution. And, and I, mean, that's... I do continue to do that as well. Um, yeah, and it's not an either-or thing, but no. but it was a matter of kind of saying, yeah, so um, we now see that from a somewhat different perspective, and um, that gives us opportunity to open to, to create an open space for others who are in that kind of a space, mm-hmm. um, either because they're nuns or duns or whatever. Um, and so I think our kind of sense of being drawn into relationships that have to do with authenticity, becoming who we truly are, um, and out of that offering our gifts to the world uh, as we were created to do, um, that all of that started to feel like um, that's the direction that we need to be heading in Mm -hmm. without knowing exactly what that would look like and still not knowing exactly what that's going to kind of translate into. That's an important point too about the institutional church because I mean the people in my life who I would say are nuns and duns um, they're not coming to church with me no matter how hospitable and wonderful my church is and it is and Mm -hmm. if they were going to come that would be a good place to go but I know that I have to start thinking outside of um, having an event at church and bringing them to it, that I have to start, you know, widening the boundaries of of how I'm engaging with people in that space because um, people are still spiritually curious. I, I think that, and I think by design, I'm excited that that still exists, at least in our context here in Canada, because there still is opportunity to have those conversations and have relationship and, and have... Um, have an open open hands and open heart to see what the spirit might do outside yes. of ne- you know of institutional mm-hmm. church. So I think it's important mm-hmm. that you said that. But yeah. that really begins with building relationships yes. and being open to relationships. Right, right. That's where those conversations are going to happen. That's as we give people access to our lives, invite people uh, into our lives to see this is how we're trying to find our way through life and through kind of life being what it is. And, right. um, and, and in that be faithful to our sense of our call and, um, what our contribution is, uh, to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that we've done is that, uh, we sold our house and, uh, had a three quarter acre property and a, little village just outside of Kitchener-Waterloo. It was a beautiful house. Yes, it was a beautiful house. It still is a beautiful still house. still is a beautiful <laughs> house. Um, and have moved uh, close to the downtown of Kitchener. We've co-purchased with our oldest son to help him get into the housing market. And so he's he's living in, in a basement apartment, and we have the upstairs. Um, but more importantly, what, it, what it's done has provided us a, a context to begin to even explore more so in earnest what Chan's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, before before the podcast started, I showed Elle our backyard with an in-ground pool and lovely deck and 
uh, one of the one of the criteria for a house purchase was a place to extend hospitality, and we don't know exactly what that will look like. Well, this is also um, a lovely home. You can be hospitable to me here anytime you want. Absolutely, <laughs> um, great. We will. <laughs> and and the other thing that it's done is um, has uh, reduced our monthly living costs right. to to free us to begin to explore some of these emergent directions, uh, which you know, at this point aren't paying a full salary and. Uh, and I think you know, part part of what we've we've talked about is the the import of attending to creative emergence, and that may sound like a you know, a bit of a woohoo type word out there that you know so you're paying attention to creative emergence. But I think um, in answer to your question, what are we doing now? Um, part of part of the work, a key part of the work, is paying attention mm-hmm. to what's going on both with within each of us and to the, the broader context and um, yeah more more often than not being surprised at what what life has has opened up and, and offers and um, not naively by any by any stretch of the imagination uh, but but stepping in a place of uh, what i would name as deep trust uh, in in the goodness of life in god's in god's goodness um, yeah even in the midst of all the, the crazy things that are happening in our in our world today. Um, so so concretely, what that's looking like. Um, well, that was my next question. So that's yeah. Cool. Let's see. I yeah, I could be a podcast interviewer too. I guess you absolutely could um, be. Concretely, what that's looking like. Um, we've we've begun to play with a phrase called "lead with your life" and have convened some retreats and day gatherings um, to help folk think about leadership more so through the lens of culture. Uh, and character rather than strategy and structure. And I mean, strategy and structure is important, and mm-hmm. and that may be more the the the, the focus for for first half of life. Uh, but uh, I think we're coming to appreciate, as both involved in leadership positions, uh, the import of of character first and foremost. Um, I think the other thing that we discovered, um, having been in the institutional church that kind of being our world was lots of other leaders within the institution who were discovering that um, the training that they have had uh, no longer kind of is um, adequate Mm -hmm. for the kind the the context in which we live today uh post-modern post-modernity post-christendom um and so that what is required of leaders is very different than what it once was. And that isn't only in the faith sector. That mm-hmm. also applies, I think, to the business world Agreed. and to yeah. uh, education and probably any other sector. And so that seems to be bubbling up all over the place. And um, so there seemed to us to be a need for some places where people can talk about what does that look like? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Who am I as a leader? Um, and what's the formation uh, as opposed to what are the skills that I need? Because people can, those skill that skill training is available out there and you can access that. But where are the spaces where we talk about what it means to be a leader? Um, and in terms of my own sense of character and who I am and how I lead out of that. 
um, it seems to seem to be a something that people were um, longing for is mm-hmm. is communities in which to do that kind of work. Right. Um, so yeah, I think there's a, a, a for for me a recognition that workshops and seminars and courses have. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, there, there's you know a, a, a place for them, and and I think in particular around the, you know, acquisition of skills and competencies, uh, but that what they don't do necessarily is provide communities of practice where you come entangle with some of these core questions of identity and leadership um, over and over again, perhaps with some of the same people at uh, increasingly different levels of of engagement and depth. Um, so I think that that's important. So one of the things that we're messing with is this is what it might look like to um, to to help support and sustain and equip people to be part of those those conversations, community of practice conversations with respect to leadership. Um, the other the other one of the other things that we've we've done uh, and and are beginning to explore and actually grew out of one of these community of practice conversations um, is what. What it might look like to to hold to to, to 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 stand in that prophetic place with one foot on the inside of the institutional church and the other on, on the outside of the institutional church, mm. and not be in a place of having to make a choice or to judge, but to live in that non dualistic place of paradox, seeming paradox, mm-hmm. um, and that was actually prompted by. Um, some some uh, a, a younger uh, a younger couple that we we chatted with that you know made the comment we don't like we don't want to leave our church home like that's where the relationships are that's where um, you know that, that's where that's where we have been nurtured and sustained over time but we also recognize that it's not it, it's not actually addressing some of the deeper questions that we're that we're wanting to wanting to tangle with uh, so this whole notion of looking for depth looking for accountability and acknowledging that the institution of the church can't provide that in the same way uh, so we've tangled with this this notion of what it might look like to you know in, in to, to invite people to in, engage perhaps a sunday morning space sunday morning time in a space that non-church space maybe once a month so they attend their own church but then they also connect with with this gathering on a monthly basis uh, to explore and 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 really live into the paradox of having one foot in and one foot out mm-hmm. um, as opposed to simply saying I don't want anything to do with it I'm a nun or a done but to say yeah actually you know that there, there, there may well be gift both to those that are stepping outside the church or living outside the church and gift to those that, are, that remain inside the church for a cadre of people to actually hold this posture of one foot in, one foot out, and I don't know where that's going to lead, but it's one of the one of the musings that that we've been playing with in terms of convening some kind of some kind of gathering that would be around conversation and and ritual and shared meaning making, likely a contemplative component. the The other thing that that I'm doing that um, once again either by the grace of God or serendipitously um, found, have, have fallen, fallen into is working with a, a local Mennonite church uh, that has the financial means to build a new building on, its, on, on the same site and keep the old building. And they've asked the question, what would it look like to make this building available 
for community use and began to do some of that exploratory work prior to me arriving on the scene. Uh, and uh, I've, I've contracted with them to do some uh, a feasibility, to do a feasibility study that uh, will move beyond simply making the building available for community use, but thinking about how the building could be used not only for community use, but social innovation in their context, probably more rural social innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, and perhaps related to what we've talked about in terms of leadership, a leadership equipping space and holding to the church's over 100-year history, uh, a space, a contemplative space, uh, a worship space, a place of encounter. Um, so I'm kind of in, in the midst of figuring out what that might look like, wanting to, to do so in a way that the, at least the basic operating costs and perhaps a component of staff costs um, could, be, could be covered through the, the revenue that would be generated annually uh, so that this, this existing building wouldn't be an ongoing burden to the, to the church. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, I mean, as I think about it, it's a, it, it's, I mean, I realize there are many churches that are needing to close or needing to redevelop their sites um, where, where this church actually has the gift of you know, building a new facility and offering their existing facility. I think of it as a, as a missional church opportunity extraordinaire. Um, what I'm discovering is that there is uh, all kinds of interest across sector. So the academic community, the social services community, um, certainly uh, our local municipality, um, um, and certainly the faith faith communities as well. Um, but I don't know I don't know where it's going to lead or where it's going to land. Um, but have a sense that there there is energy for this, and and perhaps. Perhaps as the church is moving further into post-Christendom, um, this may be uh, a place that can provide one, one, one example, one prototype of uh, a way of, of re-engaging community in, mm -hmm. in a much more holistic way. So you know, even for those folk that you know, would never darken the door of a church, is it possible to restructure this this facility uh, as a place that they could come and experience as a, as a place of true engagement and support and perhaps healing and restoration mm -hmm. and transformation um, so church but not but not church um, right but in the broadest sense of the word it would be um, a place that would reflect kingdom values so when I hear your story and when all the opportunities I've had to interact with you, both of you, um, I think of those who are listening who are, number one, might be starting the second half of life journey or might be thinking, hmm, that sounds like maybe something I'm in or going through. Second, I think about people who are listening who are hearing some of these really interesting missional engagements that you're in in talks of, you know, with the city and whatnot. And I'm wondering if someone finds themselves in that place, so first the second half of life, and maybe second the missional desire to do something a little outside of the box, for lack of a better term, what are some of the things that people mm -hmm. should be paying attention to? How do they take the 
what are some of the things that they should be thinking through or some of the first steps, if there's even the ability for you to offer a practical first step of how you start to pay attention to those and then what you do about it. Oftentimes I find um, I could listen to theory all day. I love it. I love the blue sky concepts. But when it actually gets down to the practical of like, what did you do? How did you... What did you do when you were going through that second life? Or what did you do when you thought this is maybe something I should be exploring in the missional sense? Like what are some of the first steps that you that people should be taking or mm-hmm. thinking about if they're they find themselves in that space? I think one of the one of the first steps, uh, I mean when when perhaps when perhaps you have that have that you know underlying sense of unease is to actually pay attention to it and mm. not be afraid to step into what may feel like uh, impasse or a huge wall or a huge barrier. But um, let it be what it is and receive it as a gift. And probably a sign that God is up to something. <laughs> yeah, We should pay attention when... Uh... The Spirit yeah. is a torch. These things happen, yeah. yes. Yeah, so that... You know, the, you know, the, 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 the question pair, you know, how is God messing with your life and what are you going to do about it? Mm. Um, but rather than, you know, see see God's messing as uh, an intrusion or as a... Or I'm losing my faith yeah, or, or, you know, the finger I'm of judgment. I'm coming apart, um, yeah. Uh, but to actually receive it as gift and, and be able to be, be open to exploring what's there. I don't think that it's possible to do that really don't think that it's possible to do that without some kind of prayer or contemplative practice um, so part of it part of it is you know per- perhaps you know maybe it's maybe it's a contemplative sit maybe it's going for a walk um, maybe it's doing the dishes in silence rather than listening to the radio um, but simply allowing yourself to settle into that uncomfortable space mm. and to perhaps turn some of the the chatter which you'd, you'd identify Jen as you know, false self um, to turn that chatter off and actually to be open to hearing the voice of God in your life and recognize that you know, it this isn't a linear process but mm-hmm. it happens in fits and starts and um, is you know, perhaps much easier said than done but yeah, step into the discomfort. Um, yeah, take some time to sit. Go for a walk. Um, just d- decide to, you know, even in some of the menial household household tasks, just turn off the turn off the noise and pay attention. Um, you know, often often our bodies will tell us that we need to pay attention, and so part of it is paying attention to our bodies mm-hmm. and what your what your head is denying. Your body will you know, scream out and say, you know, you need to listen to this. Yeah. And I think it's doing those things without a sense that it's about fixing something or getting to the end of the journey so I don't feel like this anymore. We, we talked a lot um, kind of over the years around, about holy unrest, kind of that sense of there's something brewing here but not knowing what. But to trust the process that when God stirs these things up in us, um, God will make sure that it goes somewhere, right? That, so it's, we don't have to get it right for that to happen. If we are open, God will unfold that. 
uh, as it needs to be unfolded in the time that it <laughs> takes to unfold things, right? Um, so to be able to hold things lightly enough that we don't get all kind of tense and uptight about are we doing it right so that we can hear and all of that. God has ways of getting our attention. And if this is something that um, we are being called to or that we need to hear, uh, God has multiple ways of getting <laughs> to us if we are open mm. to that. Um, yeah, I mean, a business coach once uh, shared this advice. Uh, she said, you know, um, with all the, the dreams and the ideas and the wonderings that you're holding, uh, she said there, there are two questions that, that come to mind uh, that are important questions, and that is, can you implement? So can you actually hmm. do something, and can you pivot? So are you able to you know, be open to what seem like those intrusions or the unexpected um, barriers or, or opportunities um, and, 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 and begin to, to pivot? Um, and I think of that in particular with the work that I'm doing with, with this church, um, in that it would be, you know, it would be easy for me to slip into that meritocracy place of um, sort of earning my keep and and saying there needs to be a result here that will be clear and concise for this church in terms of what the future holds for them and what God right. is wanting them to do. Right. Um, as opposed to 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 really inviting them into that messy creative place. And allowing allowing that to be, and allowing God's Spirit to work in in the midst of in the midst of that. Um, one more one more really practical suggestion in terms of people that are, you know, kind of working with that holy unrest um, that I've I've lived with uh, in, in the past couple of years, in particular uh, working with vocational transition, uh, is that I I get up every morning and hold these three phrases. And they, I mean, it, it sounds perhaps, perhaps pretty simplistic, uh, but I think for me it's the discipline of, of holding to the three phrases and repeating them, and that is that, that God is good, life is good, and I am good. And even in the days when that when that's hard, that for for me serves as a, as a reset, in terms of coming to trust life. Mm -hmm. and the unfolding of life, even in the midst of the questions that I may be holding uh, and entangling with. I think the other thing that I would add is look for a community of people with whom you can tangle with this stuff, right? With the questions, with the wonderings. Um, we've had, we've been so fortunate. We have had wonderful conversation partners who were able to listen mm -hmm. um, who made the journey with us who were on their own journeys around this and um, so just to be with others who are also um, trying to find their way in on this kind of a path because it isn't a path everybody is called to is what we've discovered right there are people who are called to kind of um you know, hold the, um, I can't think of the... Hold the party line? Yeah, to kind of, you know, that uh, to do life as we've known it. And um, and there's, val there's validity in that and value in that. Um, but 
we need, when you're on this kind of a journey, you need companions on the way who are also on the path. And that's what we found on the Camino, right? People who knew nothing about each other, who would never see each other again, but we were all on the same path for that period of time. And there was something in that about sharing that, that enabled you to to make the journey each day um, mm. when it felt hard and it was tiring and um, you wondered, why are we doing this? Mm. Um, so that, I think, is an important uh, piece to have a community and to know who, what that community is. Um, right. To be making that journey. Yeah, I mean, it's not about listening to everyone and all of their no. advice, but determining who, who the people are uh, Yeah. That, can speak into your life and that doesn't necessarily mean finding the people that agree with you but right. it's, it's actually inviting inviting people who who know you well and have a sense of um, and who are also doing their own work who you know are also yeah. doing their own work and who are making their journey um, through life and trying to find their way yeah there's a there's a poem by mary oliver called the journey Oh, yes. She's one of my favorites. Are you going to read it for us right now? I could read it for you. This could be the end of the podcast. This would be nice. Mary Oliver, The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, the whole house began to tremble, and you felt the old tug at your ankles. Mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundation, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough, and a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice, which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life that you could save. Mary Oliver, The Journey. And on that note, we will end our podcast. Thank you for sharing. Love you guys. All right, that was Jeff and Jan Steckley with our very own L Pike in the interview host position. Love that, L. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you what your takeaways are from from that interview. Yeah, so I think for me, one of the things that, and I feel this way about Jeff and Jan in general, is like there are people who they could retire if they'd like. That that would could be a, a valid choice for this couple. Um, they have served long and worked hard, and that could be a choice for them. But they're not choosing that. They're choosing to pay attention and to press into the things that they sense God's telling them to do. They are quintessential starters. Um, as you heard, they've got a lot on the go right now, not just the things that they are doing with New Leaf. And, you know, it's coming from a place of understanding in the second half of life that they're they, you know, they kind of went through this time. They were able to let go what they have to and pick up what they needed to. And um, I don't know. They're, I think they're in this place where they're understanding that it's not just about doing, it's about being. And out of that being, these amazing things are happening. And I, I hope that it's an encouragement to other people who might be listening that might be in that same stage of life. Um, we need your wisdom. 
We need your experience. We still need you at the table. Um, I have a deep belief that this is not just a young person's game. This is, we need everybody from every stage, every ethnicity, every background around the table together as we figure out ways to continue to follow Christ in, in our in our time and in our day and age. And so I'm really encouraged by them. I'm encouraged by um, the way that they pay attention, the way that they um, move in this world, and the way that they are um, bringing along others for this this conversation. So I really resonated with a lot of it. That was a very profound uh, conversation for me as well. Um, as you know, and you and you actually make fun of me on a regular basis for this, but uh, talking about this second half of life stuff, and uh, as someone who has gone through what I would consider to be a midlife crisis light, um, uh, you know, this is. Uh, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but it was certainly a, a stopping point and a reevaluation point and a readjustment and a pivoting of of my life direction. Um, I just uh, I I think that it's an important message, as you say. Uh, we want to see people of every uh, generation and every age grouping uh, starting new things. It's never too late and it's never too early yeah. to get started. And so they are, they're an inspiration. So we thank Jeff and Jan for being on the show with us today. L, if people want to go deeper into the new leaf story, they want to get involved in what we're doing, what can they do? Well, you can always check out our website. That is usually the most up-to-date place where we um, have a section for events. Check that out. We are having events um, all across Canada this year, actually. And so we would love to see you out at some of those. Check out us on our Facebook page. We are doing our best to update that as well. And you can always send us an email. If you'd like to hear more about this discernment process this that we're getting ready, send me off an email. Uh, we'll have more information about that in the fall. But uh, yeah, connect with us online. We try to do our best to keep things updated. And you know what? can always send us an email as well, l at newleafnetwork.ca, jared at newleafnetwork.ca. And uh, if you've got some stories, some things that you want to share, some people you think we should be talking to, we would absolutely love uh, to hear from you. And you know what? Thank you so much for the emails, the comments that we do get. We get a lot of them and we're grateful and keep them coming because we want to connect with people all across Canada and make sure that we are sharing the story of what's really going on in our, in our beautiful country. All right, friends. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the New Leaf Podcast. You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and stars all across Canada.